Ona Diaz-Santon has been a hairstylist for 27 years. She's known as the Hair Saint. A client gave her that name. It was a musician who traveled a lot. He was somewhere where it was like hot and, and his hair was super dry, super dehydrated. And he came in and we treated him, you know, we cut it and he was so happy. And at the end of that, he's like, oh, you're like, you're like the Santa of hair and uh, the saint. And I started cracking up and I'm like, okay. The hair saint. It was a joke, but also not a joke. Ona takes her work seriously. And when she looks at a head of hair, she sees potential. I asked Ona if she could cut anyone's hair, who would it be? Uh, Einstein. Einstein. <laughs> Man. He does need I... a haircut. <laughs> I look back at these pictures and I'm like, my dude, but what happened? <laughs> what? But it's kind of on brand, right? It's like the, <laughs> the mad scientist look. Yeah, I would definitely be like, we can leave it big. And I love the vibe that you're going for. It's definitely you. But let's hydrate it a little bit. And let's, <laughs> let's you know, take care of the ends a little bit. We can still make it erratic looking and stuff. I think it looks cool. But um, definitely steam treatment. I'm Dan Heath, and this is What It's Like to Be. In every episode, we walk in the shoes of someone from a different profession, a welder, a mystery novelist, a criminal defense attorney. We want to know what they do all day at work. Today, we ask Ona Diaz-Santon what it's like to be a hairstylist. We'll find out what's the most insulting thing you can say to your stylist about a haircut, and why her mom, who also cut hair, didn't want Ona to be a hairstylist, and how she handles it when somebody comes in wanting a celebrity hairstyle that clearly wouldn't work for them. Stay with us. So a new client comes into Ona's salon, sits in her chair. I asked her how she sizes someone up for the first time. It's okay. Let's look at hair texture, hair type. Let's look at the density of the hair, how thin it is, how thick it is. Let's look at how close or far apart the eyes are. Let's look at are the ears symmetrical? Is the face symmetrical? I mean, there's so many factors to getting a beautiful haircut. This is fascinating. So just to pick on one detail, like if your eyes are farther apart versus more close set, how does that affect what you should do with the hair? Well, if someone is asking for a fringe or a bang, if their eyes are set apart, you're going to make sure that you end the fringe really close to the corner of the eyes to give it the illusion that they're closer together, mm. right? And vice versa. If someone's eyes are really close together, you're going to want to make sure that you open up that space to give the illusion that they're broader, they're more open. Ona says people sometimes come in with firm ideas of what they want, even if what they want might not be realistic. Okay, I know she likes that Holly Berry haircut, but she doesn't look like Holly Berry, right? So <laughs> how can we meet in the middle? How do you deal with clients who, who don't know what they want? You pry it out of them. <laughs> um, asking questions, open-ended questions or options. Do you like this or this? 
they know what they like. They may not articulate it, but typically if you know how to ask questions, you get the answers you're looking for. And then you summarize. Okay, so let me share what I heard. I heard that you like fringes a little bit above the brow. You like exposing the brow area and you like to be able to tuck behind the ears. So the length needs to be just long enough to tuck behind the ears. Is that what you mean? You know, they either say, yes, oh my God, you read my mind. Or they'll say, nope, let me share it again. And then we just trial and error. That wasn't it. So let's ask this question until you get it. So take me back to the beginning. What was your very first haircut like? Um, it was a bob or a line, and um, it was in Englewood. At the time, I was in uh, Englewood, and I was 17 years old, and I got my first oh, chair, wow. and I was pumped. I was so <laughs> pumped and ready to go. And um, at the time, uh, the owner of that particular salon was like, yeah, you're ready to go on the floor. And I'm like, are you sure? I mean, I'm ready. I feel ready. But um, yeah, he's like, Let, let's put you in. And I remember that haircut and how scared I was. But at the same time, I was like fighting for my dream. And I was so proud that I got that opportunity at 17. And that's a lot of pressure, I would think, at age 17. Uh, Man, I was all kinds of feelings, right? I was emotional. I was so happy. I was proud. I was scared, you know, uh, uh, nervous. Uh, just a lot of, a lot of emotions. From what I understand, you're not the first in your family to be a hairstylist. Uh, tell me a little bit about that history. Oh no, my mom was a hairdresser uh, for many, many years, and she owned four hair salons. But even before that, my great grandmother used to cut hair for the people in her village way back when. No kidding. Mm-hmm. In Dominican Republic, in a very, very small town, Santiago. Back then, they were using like fabric shears and just literally cutting the town on dirt outside. And then my mom became a hairdresser, brings it to the United States and goes to beauty school and ends up owning multiple salons. I grew up in these salons. What are some of your memories from those days? Oh, my God. Sweeping the floors, picking up the phones. You know how many times I probably messed up appointments just hanging up on people or and, <laughs> and you know, what's so amazing is my mother was like, ah, let her play or let her pick up the phone or let her let her sweep or, you know, I've tried shampooing people when I was little. I never remember a time where my mother restricted me from doing anything there. That's one thing that now that I look back and I never thought about it, but n until now, never. She just did not want me to do hair. Why? Because it's it's hard on your body. Uh, you never get to eat when you're supposed to eat. It's long hours. You stand all day. Um, it's exhausting. It's like exercise. You know, anything that she could say, she definitely said it. You know, but it was inevitable. Uh, there's a few of us, three girls that my mom had and a boy. And of course, I'm the one that ends up becoming a hairstylist. And boy, am I so happy that I that I made it. It's such an interesting mix of talents that it, at least it seems to me, you need to be a great hairstylist. It's like there's a lot of technical skills, I imagine, take a lot of work to learn. And then there's, you know, an artistic sense. Uh, and there's also this whole other layer of social skills. Like, uh, I mean, there's a therapeutic aspect to having people in your chair. What is it like to have these ongoing conversations with clients? 
I mean, your clients become family, right? Um, I have clients that have been with me 25 years. I have clients that have been with me from the get, 27 years. I have clients that are, you know, that have been coming to me five years, two years. Uh, mm-hmm. They just become an extension of who you are. You know, I, I really do believe that you attract certain people in your life. You know, for some crazy reason, I have a lot of doctors and teachers and surgeons mm. and but then I also have a lot of artists. I think it's a balance of who I am too, education background and and obviously artsy. I love it, but they do. They become family. I mean, it really is a distinctive profession in that sense. Like I was thinking about uh, the guy who cuts my hair. Shout out to Lars. I mean, I sit in his <laughs> chair for almost an hour once a month. And it occurred to me one day, I was like, I have a lot of guy friends who I consider close friends that that I probably don't have 12 hours of of cumulative conversation with in a year. And that's kind of incredible. You know, these relationships that form by virtue of the work. And, And it sounds like you've had clients that your relationship lasts for decades. Oh, my gosh. And not only that, we're part of all special occasions, whether they're amazing or whether they're sad, like funerals. Uh, We're there for everything. We're there for childbirth. We're there for weddings. We're there, you know, on a day-to-day. We're there for, oh my God, you know, I have postpartum. What can I do? We're there, I mean, for any occasion, that's who gets that phone call. I'm so honored that I get a phone call from my client saying, hey, I thought of you. I have a question and I know you're the person to go to. That's amazing. So yeah, shout out to your man too. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't thought about just how many major life events you might be privy to as, as someone's hairstylist. Like, can you think of a client where, you know, there were multiple critical moments in their lives that that you were part of? Yep. Uh, How about christening, graduations, wedding? I've seen children become full-blown adults, and then I'm doing their wedding hair. Well, that to me is mind-blowing. To see them being born, okay, be part of like, oh, kindergarten graduation haircut. And then it was like, (laughs) oh, you know, this thing and that. And then graduation, high school, oh, well, college, oh, they're flying in just for the haircut. They want to see Ona. And then all of a sudden, oh, I'm engaged. I'm getting married. And it's like, what the, how did that even happen? (laughs) How did that, how fast are you growing? To be able to see that, that is unreal. Do you have any like multiple generation clients where you're dealing with the kids of someone who was a previous client or current client? Yep. I have the moms. I have the grandparents. I have their children. Then all of a sudden the children are having children. I just had a funny thought. Have you ever had a situation where, you know, you're dealing with multiple members of the same family and you realize you're getting different perspectives on the same conflict? Oh, yeah. And of course, then getting asked, so what did uh, so-and-so say? Or what did what did this one say? I told you she was going to... Did she say something to you? And I'm like, I have no idea. Now, are, do you play like Switzerland on this? I mean, do you yep. just Swiss neutrality? I plead okay. the fifth. <laughs> I plead the fifth. Absolutely. You know, and yeah, you, you do experience all angles, right? You do experience everything with your clients. 
Has anyone ever gotten emotional after a haircut? Oh my God, that that is why I think I do what I do to be able to break the stereotypes and the myths and anything negative when someone sits in my chair is genius. It's, it, it just makes me feel, I can't even describe the feeling. I have a good friend that I turned into a friend. She was a client and um, she came to me, found me, loved her haircut, ends up getting cancer. Hmm. She goes missing for like two years. And I'm like, what happened to this person? We link up at a friend's house party. We start talking. She comes back and her hair is really thin. And I'm like, we're going to get through this. We're going to do this. We're, we're just going to do it. And, um, you know, every six weeks coming in, getting her haircut, prepping, doing the work, talking to her about, you know, how, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. It is what it is. You're alive. Great. And we're going to get that hair back. And uh, now her hair is just beyond flourishing, mm. becomes a very close friend of mine, love her to death. And next thing you know, a, a couple of other great friends get together and now we're going to people's homes, okay? And we're giving like mini transformations because they can't leave the house. Either they're too weak or, you know, and we're paying it forward. And there's no words that can describe how you feel when you're helping somebody, you know? And it all it took was a haircut. Hey folks, Dan here. This is episode 11 of the show, and it's high time we pay tribute to a man named Studs Terkel. 50 years ago, he published a book called Working. It's made up of interviews with over 100 different people from different jobs, police officers, waitresses, grave diggers, and private detectives. I'm seated somewhere in Brooklyn, home of the Anthony Ruggiero and his wife and very delightful boy. So this is a book about work, jobs yeah. people do. How would you describe your work? Uh, let's see, how would I describe my work? 90% of the job is the ability to move around to different places without causing any suspicion. That's a clip from a Radio Diaries episode where you can actually hear snippets from the interviews. I'll put a link in the show notes. There's no way this show would exist without Studs Terkel. So just wanted to share that inspiration. Now, back to the show. Was there ever a time when you just got something wrong? Like maybe you obviously unwittingly botched a haircut or, or, or maybe it was more about the conversation and you just looked back afterward and you thought, I'm not going to make that mistake again. Oh, yeah. You learn. You hope you learn from your mistakes. Yes, I've botched up many a haircuts. I'm sorry, my people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think in the beginning of your career, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say super botched. Um, I do remember one instance I was cutting my husband's hair and I had just met him and I was like, you know, I was so in love and oh my God, right? I was, and I'm cutting his hair and I totally cut his ear. I totally cut this guy's ah. ear. And um, he married me, that lunatic. But uh, <laughs> It worked. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the only time, number one, that that has ever, ever happened. And uh, yeah, so 
there's been many a times that I've done something that, you know, you wish you can either learn from or, man, I wish that didn't happen that way. I mean, even now, just uh, with my self-growing journey and what's happening now in my life, you know, it's it's up and down. That's just life. It's an up mm. and it's a down. It's an up and it's a down. And um, when you're up is when you got to prep for the down. You know, and when you're down there, you do a lot of growing and learning and then you get back up and then you prep for the down because that's just how it is. It's like uh, the stock market. It's like anything in life, up and down, up and down, up and down. It's never straight. It's never a straight arrow. It's never a straight road. There's a bunch of curves in roads. You know, that's just how it is. Speaking of curves in the road, in 2017, the woman who owned the salon where Ona worked told Ona on the down low that she was planning to sell the salon. Ona figured she'd stick around if the new owners ran things well. And then a few weeks later, the owner called her into her office. And she goes, listen, I don't want to sell it to the person that is ready to buy. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, something for like two weeks, it's been bugging me. It's been bothering me and I don't want to sell it to this person. And mm. I said, well, well, what are you going to do? And she goes, I want you to buy it. And I said, okay. I said, listen, in my 10-year plan, I still have like a good five years for this. In my 10-year, see, this is in my 10-year plan. And I kept like 10-year, 10-year. And I said, listen, I have to go home and I have to, you know, chat with my hubby. And I'll let you know. Give me a week. So Ona thinks about it. She decides, no, it's too much. I'll just take an offer from another salon. She had a great offer in hand. But then... She started to have second thoughts. And um, then I couldn't sleep. And I thought about it and I said, but then the team's going to break up. And then that means I'm not going to see this person's face again. And I'm not going to see that person's face again. You know, it was like family. So I went back and I said, you know what, Lottie? Um, yeah, I, I thought about it. And hubby said that if this is what I want, that he would support me 101%. Uh, and I went in there with a the mindset that that was it. This was my 10 year is now here. And uh, I took it. And that was six years ago. Has it been easy? No. Yeah. What's been different about owning the salon versus working there? You know, it's one thing to manage your chair, your little business within the bigger business. And then there's another thing managing multiple chairs and then treatment rooms and everything else along with it. People, other clients, um, numbers, all of these things, because you're so used to doing it on a smaller scale. And then now all of a sudden you're doing it on a, a much bigger scale. Um, COVID was, you know, interesting. During that time, I bought it in 2017 and 2020 comes around and it's like, wow, mind blowing. Mm. Can't imagine. Oh, man. I, You know, when that happened, I didn't get up from the bed for 10 days. Uh, we closed and I was in bed for 10 whole days. And then I said, Ona, get up from the bed. You smell. Go take a shower. <laughs> it's going to be okay. You know, and I physically had to, like, talk to myself and, um, you know, show up for other people. And that was really hard to do, to show up for others when you feel no one's showing up for you. That was really rough. Hmm. How long were you closed? Almost four months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But God is good, you know, and that, you know, I always say if I didn't have my faith, if I didn't have the God that I have, man, I don't know how people do it when they don't believe. It's really hard. 
it's hard to not be able to vent to God and say, hey, man, this is hard. I need help, you know? And I think it's been day by day now, you know, every day just um, learning and uh, trying to grow. And sometimes you feel stretched and then you grow. It's like a muscle. You go to the gym, you have that muscle size, and then you you stretch it, you stretch it, you break that muscle, and then you make a bigger muscle. And, and that's all it is. You're stretching, you're stretching, and then now you've grown. And now you get to that next level. And now you try your hardest to keep doing that. Tell us some of the basics about how stylists get paid. Like when stylists start out at a salon, are they, are they generally on salary? I think it differs for many different salons. Some are hourly, some are a certain base salary, some are commission. We happen to be a commission salon. So the more you work, the more you get paid. So the, so tell me more about that. Commission means there is no guaranteed pay, but you get presumably a, a larger chunk of what you're charging clients? Um, you get paid depending on how busy you are. Right. Okay. Um, it's never a set number. You can make way more or you can make way little. You know, it's like a scale. Right. And you're working mm-hmm. to make it happen. I want a big paycheck. So I'm going to make sure that, you know, uh, I stay busy or I stay booked or do any cross uh, selling or upselling. Or if some salons give bonuses for retail, that's another way that you can do it. And at some salons, don't stylists basically pay to rent their chairs and then keep what they earn or keep what they earn net of a commission back to the salon? They absolutely do. But that's in states that allow chair rentals. In the state of New Jersey, currently, we are the only state that does not allow a chair rental situation. Huh. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, looking back over the last year, what do you think was like the single highest price service that anybody requested and, and tell us what was involved? Um, hmm. I would say air touch. What is air touch? It's a type of technique that's utilized to lighten or pre-lighten hair. Okay. Um, a lot of times it goes by the hour and sometimes you're sitting in someone's chair for six, seven hours, sometimes four. Whoa. But yeah. Depending on how long your hair is, it's going to take a minute. And it goes by the hour. So whether some salons charge 200 an hour or 150 an hour or 100 an hour, it depends. So you could walk out 1,000 plus easy for that, sounds like. Easy. Easy. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it'll look good at the end. Oh, you'll look phenomenal at the end. <laughs> <laughs> you better look phenomenal at the end, yes. <laughs> so, Ona, we always end our episodes with a quick lightning round of questions. Let me uh, fire away here. What's the most insulting thing you could say about a hairstylist's work? Uh, it's okay. Yeah, it's all right. Um, eh. Yeah, it's eh. I could I could live with it or not live with it. I don't know. That to me is like, it's either yes or no. The gray area for me is, there's no gray. It's either yes, I love it, or I don't love it. That's interesting. Why, why is no a preferable answer to meh? Because you can fix that. You can go back in and adjust what needs adjustment. But when you're in the gray area, you have no idea what's in that person's mind. And um, Mm. that's hard. It's hard to um, deliver if there is no clear answer. So it's either yes or it's no. But that in between, 
I'm not a fan of that in between. What's a tool specific to your profession that you really like using? So for me, I think the ultimate tool is are my hands. You know, I get to quaff hair a certain way. I get to piece things out with my fingers a certain way. I get to shake the hair a certain way to see what I need to see. It does many, many things. Also, my shears. I'm a shear fanatic, and I have a few of them. I have a good six or seven of them. One could be for detailing. Another one could be for texturizing. Another one can be for dry cutting. So knowing your tools and how to use them are like, for me, uh, I love it. What phrase or sentence strikes fear in the heart of a hairstylist? (laughs) Um, When you go to the doctor and they say you need another profession because your shoulder isn't doing it. The rotator cuff is messed up and, you know, any little thing can mess it up or my back issues. I have um, slip discs, you know, so standing or stretching a certain way is super, super important for me. Even the way I sleep is vital to how I wake up. Gosh, I hadn't thought about the rotator cuff angle either. It's like hairstylist and baseball pitchers, I guess. Oh, man. Uh, I had a severe injury a few years back. And, you know, when the doctor was like, yeah, you need another profession, I'm like, yeah. That well, that's not going to happen, you know, and that was hard. It was a hard thing to have to hear. I didn't get surgery, you know, but I laid off it for quite some time and it it was really hard time for me. Who's the most famous hairstylist, whether real or fictional? Well, I think for me, it was uh, Vidal Sassoon. Mm. I am a huge fan of his work, uh, his legacy. Why? Because he made everything look effortless and beautiful and the shapes. And he was a pioneer in bringing in certain shapes and techniques. He, in his time, his craftsmanship with hair itself was, um, no one was doing it. Not a single person. And still, till this day, I'll have, you know, people still. He has fans all over. You know, I was blessed to have... A few mentors in my life, but one in particular um, was actually trained by Vidal Sassoon. And to me, that was like the closest that I could get to that. And that was amazing. And I'm so grateful for all that and the mentorship that I've gotten throughout the years. Ona Diaz-Santon is a hairstylist and owner of The Five Salon and Spa in Fort Lee, New Jersey, You can find her on Instagram at underscore the hair saint underscore. What I found myself thinking about after talking with Ona was the importance of listening. I mean, she's got 27 years of experience. She can size you up in an instant. Your eyes are narrow set. Your ears are out of alignment. You have type 3B curls. She knows what's going to look good and what's not. But then she has the humility to realize She's there to fulfill your vision, not hers. And that means listening and eliciting, and in some cases, prying your ideas out of you. And let's be honest, listening is every bit as much of a skill, something to be practiced, as is the technical stuff like color treating and air touching. Now, that goes both ways, of course. I also thought about the people sitting in Ona's chair And it made me wonder whether 
we've been told the customer is always right so many times that we start acting like it, even though clearly we're not always right. As customers, should we be listening more and talking less? I mean, imagine coming to a brilliant hair artist like Ona and not asking what she thinks. She's got the skills and the practice and the artistic vision and the chairside manner to make sure you're happy with the style you leave with. And folks, that's what it's like to be a hairstylist. This episode was produced by Matt Purdy. Next week, get ready, we'll be talking to a stand-up comedian. My friend Will Loden featured for me recently when I headlined in Houston. And I did have a moment during his set where I thought, oh, he's too good. I'll never have him go before me again. (laughs) 